and stuff would come out afterwards. And they found that it kept giving the wrong information. And they found out the reason why it was giving the wrong information was because the people who were putting in the figures were really sloppy. They were really kind of, oh, it doesn't really matter. And they were just chucking in any numbers. And the computer obviously did its stuff. And then the wrong numbers came out afterwards. And the guy in charge was called, it's got a daft name, William Mellon. Um, William Mellon was the guy in charge. No one here has got a surname of Mellon, as far as I said that. It's a great surname. And um, William, uh, William Mellon was in charge, and he got really fed up of people saying to him, can you get your computer so that even if people put the wrong stuff in, the right stuff comes out? Okay, it's just crazy when you think about it. And he kept saying, no, 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 the computer is only as good as what you put in it. So if you put good stuff in, then it will be able to do its stuff. And if you put rubbish in, then rubbish will come out. And he actually coined a phrase which some of us might have heard of. Garbage in, garbage out. Put rubbish in, you'll get rubbish out. And, you know, for most of us who know a bit about computers, that's fairly obvious to us. Or even like a calculator. You put a sum in, you put the wrong stuff in, you'll get the wrong answer. But that was quite radical in the 1950s. And I'm going to argue that sometimes... We do exactly the same thing when we're following Jesus. We think we can get away with what we see and what we hear, and that will have no effect on what happens afterwards. So we'll go, oh, it's all right if I watch those slightly dodgy TV programs, or visit those, those websites, or I kind of listen to music, it's not really uplifting. I can do all that sort of stuff, and the outcome will be, hey, love and joy, and I'm a great Christian. We think we can bypass that. We can, do, uh, we, uh, we can do that. But we can't. It's just the same as a computer. So Philippians 4.8, uh, which Tom read earlier, says, Fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. So there's rules. There's rules. And God gives the rules in the Bible. And the rules are there because um, he wants good stuff to come out. And so do we. I'm going to start with the big objection. And this is the thing which I had when I was a teenager. And I had this idea that God is a killjoy. So I genuinely had this idea that God's in some, um, it's not very theologically correct now, a bearded guy up in the clouds with a stick, and he's checking that I'm not having fun. Because if he sees me having fun, he's going to be there with a stick. And that was sort of my image of God being a killjoy. Rules. True story. When I was 13, I, um, I nabbed, uh, no, I, I stole some potassium from the chemistry laboratory. Not a great thing to do. I'm not proud of it. I was a pain, such a pain as a child. And uh, I stole the potassium, um, and I put it on my homework journal. I think I was making a point that we got too much homework. And um, I put the potassium on it, and then I added some water. And it exploded. Um, it went bang. It caught fire. The homework journal did. But also, the actual desk caught fire. And I remember just looking at it, and suddenly, it wasn't particularly funny anymore. Okay? I, I, I genuinely remember just staring at it. And, and all my friends slowly kind of shifting away, just kind of leaving me. And... Um, yeah, it wasn't much fun when I got put on a conduct card for that. And we used to have this crazy thing at our secondary school, but if you ever put on a conduct card, the worst type, um, you had to sit in assembly on a chair facing 2,000 people during assembly for a week. Um, and keep a straight face because all your friends are pulling faces and all that sort of stuff. And um, 
and mum and dad had to come in. You know, my dad was a minister, pretty embarrassing. Uh, there were consequences, real consequences. And, and we still do that now. We still think, oh, God's doing that as a killjoy. He doesn't, yeah. Let me give you an example. When my petrol's low in my car, I tend to fill up at Sainsbury's. So I go to Sainsbury's and I open a little petrol cap and it says on the petrol cap, um, petrol only. Yeah, and it, yeah, it's a good idea to put petrol in only. Wouldn't it be mad if um, it's, I got a Mazda car, so it says Mazda says petrol only or something. It doesn't, it doesn't say quite like that. Wouldn't it be mad if I said Mazda are killjoys? They are absolute killjoys because look here, look at this tank with a beautiful nozzle with diesel in, and they are stopping me from putting diesel in my car. I mean, it wouldn't make any sense at all. And I kind of go, I'm going to show Mazda. I'm going to show Mazda. So I put diesel in my car. And uh, the next day I have to ring Mazda to sort out my car because I've broken it. I mean, that would just be absolutely kind of crazy thing to do. God is not a killjoy. So I was going to start with that, first of all. He made you and he made me and he loves us with a passion and he knows what's best for us. And exactly the same if I ring Mazda, you know, they'd probably find it quite funny if I said I put diesel in to show them the lesson. God does not want to see us fall. He's not the bearded person waiting for us to um, kind of make mistakes, etc. I'm really talking, I'm going to stare at you, it can't be really creepy, but I'm really going to be talking a bit to teenagers today and, and kind of people in their 20s, because I think you've got it way, way more difficult than I had when I was a teenager. I think you've got it way more difficult. And I'll tell you why. Because we're talking today about garbage in and garbage out. And we're talking about, um, you know, what we hear and what we see. And you have got so much more temptation that you're going to hear and see stuff far more than I had when I was your age. Way, way more. And the reason is because of the mobile, partly. Or a phone, as I was told to call it last week. I was told to get with it and call it a phone. Uh, but I'm still calling it a mobile. But this has the potential, you know, for a lot of garbage to come in, which we never had when I was your age. It didn't exist then. And um, I could talk about a ton of things which we put in, which we shouldn't. Like, it could be kind of wrong music, or violent computer games, or, you know, wrong e-books, um, drugs, whatever. I'm just going to talk really briefly about three things which are just there on your phone. They're just there. And the first one I want to talk really briefly about social media. Um... Scientific studies, I was looking at it earlier, are kind of mixed on this. But there's a consensus, there's an agreement that the more time you spend on social media, normally most of it's done on your phone, the more detrimental it is towards you, the worse it is for you. Uh, And apparently Instagram is the worst of all of them for some reason. It can affect your self-esteem. We used to call it Facebook envy, where all your friends are richer and got more friends and having more fun and better looking and everything else. We get that kind of idea in our head that other people are supposedly having a better time than us. It results in us not connecting with other people, which is what we're made for. It can even affect your memory. It's been shown that people, when they're somewhere really good, instead of actually enjoying it, you're getting your phone out to take pictures to put on... Uh, not Facebook for you guys, Snapchat, to show just how amazing it all is. And there's loads of evidence to show that if we spend a significant amount of time doing this, it really affects our mental health as well. So Generation Z, now they're people who are about 18 to 25, that sort of generation, 18 to 25, 41% say social media 
makes them significantly, not a little bit, significantly more anxious or depressed. Or, second one on the phone, okay? I'm just going to say this one now, okay? Dodgy websites. Websites we shouldn't be on. Over 60% of men frequently are on websites they shouldn't be on. Now, this is completely different from when I was a teenager. We'd have magazines, pornographic magazines, and they were not easy to find. Big Brother sometimes had them. But you guys are two clicks away. We're all two clicks away on a phone from accessing stuff that's not doing us any favours at all. There was a huge study two years ago. It's called a meta-analysis study, which basically means really lazy. They get 50 other studies, um, and they look for conclusions of all of them. They got 50 other studies on looking at these websites, and I'm, I'm going to quote what it said. It said, all 50 reports, which hardly ever happens, all 50 show that pornography has an overall negative effect. It objectifies people, especially women. It harms relationships. It causes loneliness. It's highly addictive. Or what about third of all? What about streaming sites? Okay, so like you know, you spend hours on YouTube and all that sort of stuff. Uh, this one I first read about it actually made me laugh until I heard the backstory. So the actual, you know, the first bit is there's a guy in India who in October put himself in for rehab and he's just come out. And you think, oh no, what was it? It sounds, it sounds terrible. He went into rehab for addiction to Netflix. And I'm like, oh, come on. Addiction to Netflix. But then you heard the backstory about it. That he got himself, that he had to watch every day at least seven hours. Whilst he's got a family and he had a job. And as a result of his binge watching, he stopped socialising or seeing people. He'd neglected his family. He was an absolute mess and absolutely shattered the whole time. And that's just three ways, I've said. Just three ways which this stuff, we can put garbage in. There's a ton more. Sometimes, when we mess up, and we all mess up, um, you know, and we say sorry to God, and he, he, he forgives us. But sometimes, I think we sometimes do lazy prayers, or I'm hoping it's not just me. And I can tell you what I mean by lazy prayer. I do this. I go, oh God, please help me not to do whatever. Please help me. I say that. And I leave it at that. I've done it. And I walk away. And um, don't get me wrong. (laughs) Prayer is massively important. It's massively important. But I think sometimes we're in danger of treating God like some magician in the clouds. Where we go, please help me. Please help me. And what we're actually saying is, please take my free will away. Make me a robot. Okay? Take this away. Okay? And we hope that God will take these temptations away. Just like that. With no effort. There is no evidence in the Bible of that happening. Jesus was tempted. Now, there's this amazing quote by this guy called St. Augustine. Okay? He was a Christian a long time ago. And he writes this. He goes, Pray as though everything depended on God. And work as though everything depended on you. What practical steps can you take to think carefully about what stuff goes in. It is brilliant to pray. It is so important. But what about what practical steps can you take? I'll give you a few. This one I recommend more than any. Have someone else you're accountable to. Someone you trust. Some of you guys here are really good mates and I'm challenging you to up-level that. 
And what I mean by that is, it's great that you enjoy each other's company. It's great you can have a laugh. It's great you do sports together or whatever you guys do. But why not hold each other accountable? Why not go up another stage? Someone you really, really trust and say, do you know, I've got a problem or whatever it is. Whatever the problem is. And I want you every week to ask me how I'm doing. So then we're supporting each other. Because if we're following Jesus, we're all brothers and sisters together. What an opportunity to kind of do that. If you really want to do it, you know, if your problem, say, is looking at websites, say, do you know, once a week, I'm going to show you my browser history. I'm going to show you it. It's amazing how accountability can really, really help. Or maybe it's about turning off your phone at night. Turning off your phone at night. About two years ago, I said, I'm turning my phone off at eight o'clock. I turn it off. And it's really helped me because I was endlessly just flicking through news feeds, endlessly flicking, all my evening gone just going through it. Turn it off. Being really careful when you're tired or hungry or angry. That's when temptation's high, when you're those things. What about if you're really stuck on a social media site, you just can't get off it, take the app off your phone so it's more of a hassle to actually go into the, into the actual browser to get it. And think really carefully about what electronic devices you've got in your bedroom. If you've got a problem with stuff, don't take stuff in your room. Leave your computer out downstairs in an open place. We have 10,000 thoughts a day give or take, 10,000, which works out three and a half million a year. And some of these thoughts lodge in our brain. And we need to ask ourselves those questions which the Bible verse said. We need to ask, is it true? Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it excellent? And with God's power, we have the choice. We can choose. I want to finish with the rope. You're all dying to know why there's a rope here. Um, I, want you, I want you to imagine that this bit at the end of the rope, this is our life. You might have seen this before. This is our life. And this is when we were born. I'm afraid that's when we're going to die. That little bit there. And you'll see the rope goes on forever. It doesn't actually, but just run with it. We'll just pretend that rope goes on for eternity. And this is what we get caught up in. This little bit there. And we don't see the whole thing because we're actually just stuck in here all the time. We're thinking, ah, when you actually think about some of the things we get stressed about, and when you actually look at it here, it's a bit ridiculous. We go, oh, I must get these grades. I must get these really whatever grades. I must go to this university. Um, I must go on this holiday. Or whatever things kind of really take up your time. And we're not seeing the bigger picture. We're looking at this little bit here, and we're missing eternity. We're missing the thing. You see, we want to spend this time really, really well. Because there's an effect on all the rest. We want to spend this really, really well. Just like the computer, where if you put rubbish in, you get rubbish out, like the 1950s American one. We put rubbish in, we, can't, we mustn't be surprised when rubbish comes out. But if we're thinking about good things, we're really careful what we watch, what we see. We're picking up the Bible, and just kind of, we're spending time with Jesus. Then that's going to have an effect. It's going to be good stuff comes out. The kind of things which we watch and read and listen will affect how we talk, how we feel, how we live, and us for eternity. Let's live well, with God's help, because at one point, you and I are going to see him face to face. For about five minutes, what we're going to do is, if you get in little groups, 
and just have a little chat. I'm going I'm to throw three questions, okay? Now, some of this is quite personal, so don't share, you know, if, if you don't want to. But if you were somebody you really trust, three questions. What stuff do you need to repent from? Not say sorry, repent. And repent is just a fancy word from you walk away from it, you leave it. Okay, we can say sorry endlessly. Repent is we walk away. So what stuff do you need to say to, to, uh, to do that? Biggest one, I think. What practical steps can you do when you go home tonight? Because if, if anything I've said now is going to resonate, you think, oh, okay, that's me. Um, it's a complete waste of your time being here if you just go home now and that's the end of it. So think about what can you do when you go home today which is going to help you in the future. It might involve unplugging a few things or taking a few things off. And then finally, what do you need God's help with? What do you need God's help with? So just, just go through that again. What stuff do you need to repent from? What practical thing are you going to do tonight when you get home at half eight, whatever? And what do you need to ask God to help with?